Thank you so much, Kelly. Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you in the name of the risen Christ. It is good to be able to celebrate Easter with all of you today. I tell you, I wish, uh, I wish everybody could stand where I stand and be able to look out at all of you. Um, you know, it's every, every week, uh, Pastor Hope welcomes you, all the, all the beautiful people of Wrightsville, right? She always says that, you know. Y'all are popping today, I got to tell you, you know, with, with all your spring and Easter colors, uh, you look great. It's, it's a fantastic um, way to be a part of the celebration, to, uh, to be part of um, putting on our Easter clothes, right, and uh, recognizing that this day is different. Um, we're going to hear the story this morning from uh, Matthew's version of the gospel. So we're going to pick up in chapter 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. Indeed, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, Lord, we give you thanks for life. For life eternal. For life even after death. Holy God, continue to pour into us the Holy Spirit so that we too may speak of life resurrected life everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's my, here's my thesis for today. Okay, we'll just, we'll just put it out there right at the beginning. That the greatest public service that the church can perform for its community and indeed even the world is to celebrate Easter. I'm, I'm not kidding. A good, true, honest, beautiful celebration of Easter makes all the difference in the world. For resurrection is all about a little four-letter word called life. A life that triumphs over death. Or as Prince sang back in the 80s, electric word life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. Some of you are Prince fans. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. Prince is obviously influenced by his Christian upbringing. And Christ has said that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but instead have eternal life. I mean Christ, not Prince. You don't have to believe in Prince. But I sure hope that he's playing at the party, that's for sure. Maybe it's somebody else for you, and that'd be cool. But the important question for us today is, do you want to be a part of that party? Do you want to celebrate the resurrection? It's our choice. One of the moving and insightful stories that came out of the Nazi concentration camps in Europe during World War II concerned a musician by the name of Gustav Muller and his niece. 
When the young Jewish girl arrived at the camp, it was decided she was too valuable to be killed like the others. Instead, she was ordered to gather together an orchestra to play for the Nazi officers in their top brass. She was able to gather together many Jewish musicians who were ready to be killed. Some of the performers were among the finest and most talented in all of Europe. She described the bizarre experience of playing beautiful music to some of the ugliest people who have ever tried to rule the world. They had to practice and play while trainloads of Jewish families came in for what they thought was a new homeland, only to find out it was actually the gas chambers. She shared how she wished she could just smash into pieces the beautiful instruments that they were playing, for she said, for how can you sing and play when there is no music in your soul? That really is the question on the hearts of many of us as we gather here this morning. You ask in the private and deepest place of your heart, is there a word from the Lord today? I know people are struggling. People are striving really hard to believe in the resurrection. Some, they want to be a better Christian than they already are. Others are afflicted with sickness and disease and terminal illness for which there is no cure. There are young people who want to have children and yet they still rock an empty cradle. There are married people struggling to keep together a beautiful relationship and a happy home. There are people struggling with addictions, people struggling to find a new job, people struggling to hold on to retirement, people struggling against the power of failure or disappointment, roadblocks, detours, dead-end streets. It seems everywhere they look, they're going the wrong way. When I read in the Bible what happened to the disciples between the time of the arrest of Jesus and the placing of his body in the tomb, I can understand why they too would be not only frustrated, but tempted to ask, how do we sing when there's no music in our soul? Well, I'm planning to take my family this summer to the Grand Canyon. I'm pretty excited about it. My kids, though, they look at the pictures and, and they say, uh, it's just a big hole in the ground, you know? But here's the thing. I've already seen it in person I know how magnificent it actually is. I share the joy that I heard from another person from the East Coast who saw the Grand Canyon for the first time and said, my God, something incredible happened here. Well, that's how I feel about Easter. My God, something incredible happened here. I want to share today the incredible good news about what happened on that first Easter day and how that difference can make a difference in your life. First of all, Easter Day makes a difference because it declares that God always has the last word. Not anybody else, not anything else. God always has the last word. Let, let me explain through an illustration. On display in the magnificent Louvre Museum in Paris, France, is the dramatic uh, painting of Goethe's Faust. Faust is seated at the table engaged in a competitive game of chess. And at first glance, it looks like Faust is losing. His opponent on the other side of the chessboard is none other than Satan. 
The devil sits there grinning rather smugly. He thinks he's got victory in hand. He's pointing at the chessboard with this evil leer, and he's gloating. And as you look at the painting, you can almost hear the devil shouting, checkmate, game over, I win. However, a person with a keen eye who knows the game of chess knows that the game is not over at all. As a matter of fact, just a few years ago, an internationally famous chess player was admiring the painting when all of a sudden he, he lounged forward and, and exclaimed, oh my gosh, wait a minute, Faust has another move, and that will give him the victory. The painting is a parable for us Christians because in it we see what is symbolized in Easter. When we look at the cross on Good Friday, it looks as if everything is lost, right? It looks like the defeat of righteousness. It looks like goodness is dead and buried forever. It looks like Christ has been silenced and conquered. But then, Easter Sunday reveals God's greatest move, the greatest checkmate of all time. Christ comes up out of the grave and into our lives with power and authority. Well, 50 years ago, one of the greatest upset victories in all of sports occurred in Super Bowl III, 1969. The New York Jets of the upstart American Football League were scheduled to play the mighty Baltimore Colts, and nearly every newscaster, every prognosticator was predicting that the Colts would kick the tail wings off the Jets. However, Jets quarterback Joe Namath predicted victory. John Dockery was a member of the 69 Jets, and he remembers in Super Bowl III what was taking place. He said, it was late in the third quarter when I looked up at the scoreboard and a message flashed through my mind. We're going to win. My God, we are actually going to win. What a difference one day can make. See, the game had to be played out on the field. Not in the newspapers, not in the barber shops, not in our living rooms. Never forget, my friends, that when you are a Christian, you always have home field advantage. Secondly, instead of living our lives prisoners of guilt and shame and evil, we can now live as forgiven people of God. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, shared what he believed to be the foundation of the gospel and its power and the difference that it made in his life when he said, For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. I talked about this last week, right, Palm Sunday, when I talked about um, what a difference this made in Paul's life. Jesus was the offering that satisfied the justice that God needed to take away the sins of the human race. Jesus was the Lamb of God that had the power to take away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul experienced that power for himself while he was on the road to Damascus, while he was going to persecute and even kill other Christians. But Jesus knocked him down off his high horse, right? And completely changed his life. Charles Wesley talks about the power that Jesus had in his own life when he wrote, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean, his blood availed for me. 
The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once shared these marvelous words, which provide great hope for us today. He said, there may be some sins of which a man does not speak, but there is no sin which the blood of Christ cannot wash away. Easter declares to us that forgiveness is not just an idea. It is a reality that can be shared with all of those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. What a difference a day can make when we claim Jesus as our Savior. Third, Easter Day assures us that we can live as victors, not as victims. We can live as victors, not as victims. We gain insight from this by studying world history. You, you might remember that the Allied troops under General Wellington fought Napoleon on June 18, 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo in Belgium. News was transmitted by the use of lights across the English Channel to the anxiously awaiting British. The words were spelled out, Wellington defeated. And then fog came over the English Channel like it often does. And all of England was in despair. All they knew was Wellington defeated. But when the fog lifted, they were able to see the final word. Wellington defeated Napoleon, and the entire countryside went into joyous celebration. Finally, Napoleon had been defeated. We know from the gospel records that there was a great deal of circumstantial evidence that first clouded the landscape for the disciples. It seemed that the Roman authorities had taken away their greatest hopes, their biggest dreams on Good Friday. They were living as victims when in fact, God had achieved for them victory, but they didn't understand that just yet. How tragic it is for us as Christian believers to continue to fight the Good Friday fight and always remain a victim when we could claim the resurrection power of Christ and his victory. Now, I'm not trying to be naive or unconcerned today. I understand it takes a leap of faith to believe that Christ has won the war when you look around and you see a lot of people struggling. You don't have to believe me, but I hope you'll believe the Bible, which tells us death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It even goes on to say, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. Which brings us to our last point. Easter can make a greater difference in your life if your faith in Christ is not limited to a faith about death, but also a faith about life. Let me explain what I mean. A fellow pastor in Texas is also a pilot of small aircraft. One day, he decided it was time to teach his young seven-year-old son, Adam, how to fly. So he took him up with him, and when they were aloft, he handed the controls over to Adam, seven, just seven years old. He told him how to climb and how to dive and how to bank to the left and bank to the right. And his father praised him for being such a good pilot. He was just a natural. They turned the plane to head back to the airport after about an hour, and Adam was still flying the plane when the airport came into view. Suddenly, the father noticed that his son's hands had an absolute death grip on the controls, and he had a look of panic on his face. What's the matter, Adam? 
Adam replied emotionally, I don't know how to land the plane. His father said he'd forgotten to tell him that he didn't have to actually land the plane. Daddy would take care of that. That's the assurance of Easter. God promises to take over the landing. Daddy's going to take care of that. That promise is guaranteed. You and I receive great comfort from stories and illustrations like this that can communicate the biblical truth that a commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior absolutely does deliver us from the bondage of sin and death. However, the Christian faith also holds the keys to living life each day right here, right now. Yes, Prince is right. There's something else, the afterworld. But Jesus tells us eternal life starts now. How often we forget this side of the Easter story. A number of years ago, a story appeared in the newspapers about a, a young man who picked up this beautiful rock from um, a mountain stream right here in North Carolina. He thought it was, it was so interesting, and so he took it home with him, and he used it as a doorstop to the little cabin where he lived. Well, one day, a skilled geologist was walking through the woods in the same area, and he stopped at that cabin in order to get some water. And he noticed the unusual doorstop. And being a skilled geologist, he looked down and noticed he actually was holding a lump of gold. In fact, it was the, this is a true story, largest lump, largest gold nugget that had ever been found east of the Rockies. And this man was using it as a doorstop. Like the man holding gold in his hands, the disciples failed to recognize the true nature of our Lord after spending three years with him. Jesus holds all the keys of life. He holds life and death, heaven and hell, the abundant life, the authentic life. All of them are in the hands of Jesus. But you may say, well, I've never met the risen Lord on the way to work or anywhere else for that matter. And neither have I. Yeah, I mean, if you mean a person walking down the street with pierced hands and feet in the flesh, no, I, I haven't seen that. Some have, but, but I haven't. However, if you mean the life that takes hold of a person and changes them from, let's say, a self-centered, egotistical brat into, I'd like to think, a rather companionable and somewhat intelligent human being, well, yeah, I've, I've seen him. And, and, and if you mean that the, the, the life that gradually developed a spoiled, demanding teenager that I grew up with into one of the most um, absolutely sensitive mothers and competent professionals in her field, well, yeah, I've seen Christ do that too. Or if you mean by a middle-aged person whose life had gone down the drain, corrupted by alcohol and drugs, and suddenly he begins to live and stand up and throw back his head and get a job and he's got a girlfriend and he's glad to be alive. If you mean that, then yeah, I've seen that risen Lord. I've met that life. I've met that Jesus. In fact, I think if it weren't for him, I don't think I'd take this life all that seriously. I might not care that much. Because I know the darkness of this life can be deep and powerful. I can't face it alone. 
but I can face it because I know that in him is life. And that life is the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not once overcome it. Not once. In fact, it is shining right here, right now. So the next time that there's no music in your soul, remember the difference that Easter can make in your life. For God has the last move, and God has the last word. God has forgiven us, and we are not victims, we are victors. For God's presence is with us right here, right now, in all times, and in all places. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. Most holy and gracious God, you performed the greatest miracle ever in bringing Jesus back from the dead. And so now we know all things are possible. That even when things look their worst, there is still life after death. Holy God, help us to hold on to that hope. Help us to hold on to our faith. Help us to hold on to the promise of the resurrection and to begin right here, right now, to live the resurrected life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you now to sing our closing hymn along with the choir. It's printed in your bulletin. It's the Hallelujah Chorus. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>